Friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can. Hey, today you came to a great Sunday because we're kicking off a new series. I see it. I, see it. I got uh, it. Please welcome uh, up Kyle Zimmerman. Uh, to uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, good morning. So good to see you. This is a perfect Sunday. How many of you... Chiefs fans, huh? Chiefs are going to, oh, kind of, how about Eagles fans? Uh, a little more enthusiasm for the Eagles. I see you back there. Rams fans, 49ers, yeah, I know. Next year, guys, it's our year. Uh, that's what we say every year. Uh, we are so excited you guys are here. We are starting a new series, uh, as Angel mentioned, called Transform, and it's this idea of becoming the better you. And so as I was thinking about this week, I'm curious, and so I always start looking around and going, how do people think about this? And what does it mean to become a better you or the best version of ourselves? And here's one of the things I discovered. When I looked online, basically what I saw is that we all think we're actually pretty good. Uh, one of the most recent studies I saw from a year or so ago, it said that 75% of people believe that they're fundamentally good. 75% of you in the room are like, I'm good. Like, I'm making it happen. Here's what's interesting about that. About 67% of women believe that. 86% of men believe that. So men, not only think we're good, we're arrogant. You know what I mean? It, to go along with it. A full 50% of the people that 75% believe they're good, a full 50% believe that they're better than other people. Which means half the, you guys are all just judging each other right now. You're just looking around going, I may not be the best, but I'm better than them. You know what I mean? That's the way we go through life. But in reality, we all know that we want to be better. We just came through a season, right? New Year's are always this time. There's New Year's resolutions. Over half the world makes New Year's resolutions. We set goals. We pursue these things in our life. And not only that, the self-improvement industry is growing at a rate of over 5% a year. It's almost $14 billion annually now that we are willing to spend on self-improvement, whether that's books or coaches or seminars or even now apps that we have that are just gonna help us be better people every single day. It's interesting, younger people, it said not, one of the things said 94% of millennials, Right, 94% of millennials are willing to spend up to $300 a month on self-improvement. That's twice as much as a boomer, which basically just proves as we get old, we don't care. <laughs> right? We're just like, listen, I'm me, leave me alone. This is as good as it gets, which is interesting. And in all that, one of the things that was fascinating, it said over time, whether it's resolutions or all the self-help or anything you can see, 96% of people fail. Over 90% of people fail at self-improvement. And so that's why, if we were here, and if we were to stop and just go, what in your life would you want to be better? What in your life do you need to be better today? Is there something there? Maybe it's your finances. It's like, I need a little financial tune-up. Maybe that's a challenge. Maybe it's your job, where you're working, some relationships that exist there. 
Maybe your grades. Need your grades to be a little bit better. Maybe it's your classes or your study. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with a roommate or a classmate. Maybe even your spouse, your marriage might be hanging on by your thread and you're just going, I need my marriage to be better. Maybe it's a relationship with a kid or whatever it might be. But what in your life do you need to be better? Because that's the journey that we're going to take, not just today. That's the journey that we're going to take over these next weeks together. That's what this series, Transform, Becoming the Better You, is all about. We are going to look at the way, the only way, that you can actually bring about real and lasting transformation into your life. And here's the thing. Today, we're just going to lay the groundwork, right? We're going to set the foundation that the coming weeks are going to stand on. And I don't, so I'm just going to give it away right at the beginning. And here's the deal. The foundation of transformation for your life is? Jesus. See, you guys knew it. Jesus, right? You're in church. It's always the right answer. Jesus. But here's the thing. Practically speaking, it's trusting God it's trusting God's power, and it's trusting God's plan. Everybody say, trust God. Trust God's power. Trust God's plan. If you can just remember that as the foundation, I promise that real and lasting transformation will happen in your life, that over time, the things that you need and want to be changed in your life will happen if you trust God, if you trust God's power, and you trust God's plan. So here's the thing. I'm not making this up, right? I'm going to show you where it's at. Turn to Romans chapter 12. If you brought your Bible, turn back to Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we always have Bibles available. They're back here in the corner at the Next Step Center. would love for you to take You can borrow it or you can take it. I don't care. But I'd love for you to just circle, underline, make notes in your Bible, some of you are thinking, oh, I can write in a Bible? And the answer is, of course, write in your Bible. Like, God doesn't care. He wants you to remember what he's saying. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at just two verses today. All right. Paul writes, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And let's just read verse two out loud together. This is what I want you to remember. Here we go. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here, Paul basically is turning a corner in the book of Romans. And essentially what he's doing is just setting the foundation of what a life that's walked out, trusting God, trusting God's power, and trusting God's plan looks like. And so let's just start real quick at the beginning, the very first sentence. It says, and so, lots of your translations may use the word therefore, and then he says, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Now, some of you, if you just look at that summary, and so, therefore, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. If we were to just pause here, for some of you in this room could take a deep breath and just look at that because of all that he's done for you. And your mind and your heart and your soul would just be flooded with reflection. And you'd start going, oh, that's right. God has been so good. 
He has been so loving. He forgave and he blessed and he provided and he answered prayer and he's kept me healthy. You could remember stories where you were praying for people that God rescued and delivered. You could remember daring rescues and you would go, yes, that's right. I can remember all that God's done for me. Now, some of you may go, what's God done for me? You may be like, what, is, what has God done? What is God doing? I mean, does he not see what's taking place in the world? Why isn't he doing anything about that, let alone the things in my life that, he, that need fixing? Why isn't God answering me? Well, we've got to look back, because remember, he's referring to the very first words, which are and so, or the word therefore. And you know, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore. And so that causes you to look back, right? And in this case, the word therefore isn't like just look back at the previous verses or the previous paragraph. The word therefore here is capturing the first 11 chapters of Romans. He's saying because of all of this, because of all God's done, offer your whole life to him then as a living sacrifice. Some of you are like, what in the world? So here's the deal. I'm just going to summarize 11 chapters of Romans for you this morning. I'm taking it as a personal challenge. You don't think I can do it. I'm going to do this in about three minutes, right? So here's the thing. There's, there's a bunch of therefores in the first 11 chapters, but there's three that are really critical. The first one is in Romans chapter three. There's this therefore, and he's summarizing the first three chapters, and he says, therefore, none of you are good. That's basically what Paul says. You all think you're good. Nobody's good. And that's what he says. And we know this, right? We know inherently that all, we're not good. We're selfish, and we seek our own desires and we seek to satisfy whatever we want in life and we pursue our own selfishness and we create and make decisions that create pain in our life and in our relationships with others. We push people away, we're dishonest, we're whatever, whatever. And we push God away because of that same brokenness and that pursuit of self. And so basically Paul in Romans 3 just says, therefore, none of you are good, right? All of you are guilty. Right? Of selfishness and not being good. That's the first one. Second one that's really important is in Romans chapter 5. Takes the next two chapters. And in Romans chapter 5, he says, therefore, and he just talks about Jesus. And he says, therefore, Jesus came. And Jesus offered his life as the perfect sacrifice for all of that pain and all of that damage and all of that brokenness and all of that selfishness that just ruins your life and ruins this world and just pushes God away. Jesus came and his death on the cross, he takes on all of that. He takes on all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the punishment that you deserve for that. Basically, he's saying, therefore, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're not guilty. So Romans 3 is, therefore, you're guilty. Romans 5 says, therefore, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not guilty. Okay, so then the next big one is in Romans chapter 8. And here he says, therefore, and then he talks about the love of God. And he says, there's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's freedom. You don't have to walk in fear. Therefore, he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, which he says, I'm going to give you as a gift. The same spirit that power empowered Jesus that raised him from the dead, that same spirit that conquered the power of evil and death, that same spirit is yours. And he talks about the love of God for you, therefore you are loved. And he said, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's Romans 8. So you see, therefore you're guilty, therefore if you put your faith in Jesus, you're not guilty, therefore God loves you so much, nothing can, now do you see? Look at all that God's done for me. Do you see it? 
Just not even. It's like, do you see? That's why he's going, do you see what God's done? Therefore, in view of this, trust him. The first thing Paul would say is, trust God. Trust a God that loved you so much that before you ever knew he existed, He had already done all this for you. He had already demonstrated his love. He had already laid out this plan and this pathway for forgiveness and relationship with him and one another. Just trust God. That's what Paul's saying here. That's trust him with your whole life, every day, every decision, every choice. And so here's what's really important in this. There's a moment in our life where we have to declare our trust and our faith in God. It's really important. You have to declare your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to say, I, I'm not going to do life anymore. I'm going to trust and believe that Jesus is God's son, and I'm going to trust in his death on the cross, his resurrection to give me. You have to trust that. But then here's the thing. The rest of our life becomes the development of that new identity and that new reality. So everything happens in a moment, and yet we have to discover what it means to walk in that new identity over time. Paul, when he's writing to the church in 2 Corinthians, right, he says, you're a new creation when you trust Jesus. You're a new creation. You have a new identity when you trust God. But then he's saying that identity has to be developed over time. You have to learn what it looks like to walk out a life of trusting God. So it sounds super mysterious, but there's a couple very practical examples that lots of us understand and get to see every single day lived out that go, oh, I get it. The first one is, Anyone, anybody here married? Okay, so lots of us. Anybody here ever been to a wedding? Okay, cool. So here's the thing. So I'm married. Uh, it'll be 25 years in March. Pretty great, I know. She's tolerated me that long. So here's the deal. So 25 years ago, right, my wife Holiday and I, uh, we decided we're going to get married and live out all of what that takes. And then we're standing, holding hands, you know, in front of a pastor. And in that moment, you know, he says, Kyle, do you take holiday, you know, to be your wife? And I say, I do. And she says, holiday, do you take Kyle to be your husband? Long pause. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. She said, I do. And then at the end, here's the thing. You know what the pastor said at the very end? I now pronounce you husband and he declared me a husband. In that moment, I became a husband. Now, what did I know and understand about being one? You can ask my wife if you want to. Nothing. And so I go on this lifetime, this adventure of discovering and developing what it means to live in the identity and the reality that happened in a moment. You following me? Okay, here's another one. How many of you have had a baby or been around a baby there's one right back there. She's adorable, by the way. Uh, so here's what happens. So we decide we're going to have kids. God blesses us. And we're in the hospital. And, uh, you know, God bless Holiday. Our marriage survived just, you know, childbirth, which is an incredible experience. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, cut the umbilical cord. And they're checking the baby. And then all of a sudden, they wrap, wrap Kate up. And they just hand him to me. And they look at me. And they say, congratulations, you're a father. And in that moment, they declared me a father. Did I have any idea what it meant to be a father? I'd read a couple books, been to a couple classes. I had no clue. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, I had a new identity that to this day, I'm continuing to walk in and develop and discover more 
about what it means. Get it? So there comes a moment where you have to decide, do I trust God? Am I going to declare and put my faith in Jesus? And in that moment, your identity and your life has changed forever. And then it becomes an ongoing journey of becoming and discovering and developing what that truly means. So the first question that Paul would ask you where we started today is, have you trusted God with your life? Have you declared your faith in him by trusting Jesus with everything that you are? Here's the thing. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service today. Just think about that question because that becomes the foundation everything stands on. Because from here, what happens is Paul just continues and he gives us then the key to developing and discovering this new identity, to actually becoming the better you that you were designed to be. Look at what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We read this out loud once. Let's read this out loud again together. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So he gives us a don't and he gives us a do. Again, I love how simple the Bible is, right? We think it's incredibly hard to understand. It's not that hard. The don't is simple. Don't copy, right? Lots of your translations may say don't conform, right, to the world. Essentially, don't copy or conform to the world. And we see the original word there literally just means copy, an identical version of, something that looks similar to, right? And he's saying don't copy the values, the customs, the thinking, that you see in this world every day. So just real quickly, what do you think the values of this world might be? Money. Material things. Sex. Sex. Just this life. What else? Happiness above everything else. Right? Appearance. Even age. How that gets into stuff, right? Power. Position. Influence. The rise of the influencers, which essentially at the core of that could be, not always, but it could be just selfishness. You just want to be the center of everything in your life. See, it's, see how easy it is? So when he says don't copy, don't conform to the world, if you just said, well, what is the world all about? It's not that hard to see what the world's about. We're surrounded by it. We just live in it every day. And he's saying don't do that, right? So don't conform to that. But here's what he says do. So you do let God transform you. So let God, and here's what's interesting. Who does the transformation? Isn't that interesting? How often do we think we're responsible for it? Like, I gotta do this. I gotta work harder. I gotta be better. If I can only be good enough. He's like, no, no, stop. Let God transform you. And that's why the second part, the first thing is you gotta trust God. The second thing is you have to trust God's power to transform you. You have to trust in God's power to transform you. We don't change ourselves We could never change our desires. We could never change our pattern of thinking. We could never be good enough or smart enough or strong enough. We just can't. So he's like, you gotta let God transform you. And it's interesting, the word transform there in the original language is metamorpho, which sounds a lot like, see, you guys are brilliant. It's not that hard to understand, is it? Right? Metamorphosis, of course. And here's the deal. This is the world's definition of metamorphosis. Change of physical form, structure, or substance, especially by 
supernatural means. How about that? The whole world is going, we don't know how this works, right? Something happens that changes, and it seems supernatural because we can't really explain it, but we can just tell you what we see and observe. Isn't that fascinating? Let God metamorpho you, transform you, right? And one of the most tangible illustrations we have of metamorphosis, of course, is, that's right, see? Now, some of you are like, I don't know, I don't remember. So let me take you back to about third grade. Watch this. How do you make a butterfly? First, a butterfly lays an egg on a plant. A caterpillar hatches out of it and gets busy eating. As it eats, it grows and molts out of its skin to get even bigger and repeats this until it is a fully grown caterpillar. It attaches itself to a plant and sheds its skin one last time to reveal its chrysalis. Inside, the tissues that made up the caterpillar rearrange to form a head and body, six legs, and four wings. Then, when its own genes and the climate indicate the time is right, out pops the butterfly. This entire cycle, from egg to caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly, is known as metamorphosis because the animal goes through striking, distinct life stages. Now our butterfly will find a mate so it can start the butterfly life cycle all over again. Huh? Metamorpho. Let God transform you. Let it happen. And here's what's interesting, right? The supernatural process of transformation. And what is the, what is the caterpillar doing? He eats, right? So probably you should pay attention to what you're consuming. You know what I mean? Not just physically, but like what are you ingesting in your life? What are you reading? What are you watching? You know, what are you paying attention to? And not only that, what happens to you? Remember he sheds as he grows? There's probably some things maybe you need to let go of. Kind of shed from your life. Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's patterns of, of behavior, which we're going to talk about in a second. But what do you need to let go of? Maybe it's a relationship. Because he's saying those things, that's going to prohibit metamorphosis from taking place in your life. Let God transform you. But here's what's beautiful. Every time you see a butterfly, whether you see one in a book or you see one floating around, just let God remind you, right, of the supernatural process of metamorphosis that he's taking you through. Let me transform you. Every time you see a butterfly, it's an invitation to just God for to say, let me change you. Let me help you become more of who you were created to be. Be the better you. And here's the thing. He finishes verse two with why you'd even want to trust God and trust his power, right? Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And this is the last part, right? This is where we trust God. We trust God's power. And then we trust God's plan. We trust his will, and it's something, it's interesting the way Paul weaves the sentence even together, right? Because he says, you will learn this. You know, and the verb there is this present, ongoing, infinitive, active word. He said, this is a process of developing and becoming over a lifetime. So you're going to continue to learn this your whole life. And what are you going to learn? That God's plan. You're going to learn God's plan for you. Which is what? It's good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And I think a lot of us, the challenge there, we think God's plan is, is a little stuffy. We think God's plan is a little judgmental. We think God's plan is a little condemning. We think God's plan is a little restrictive. We think God, all these things about God's plan. But really, essentially, if, if we spend some time thinking about what, what does the world value, and don't conform to that, let's just pause for a moment and go, what does God value? So if you're going to take, what does God value? Love, that's right. What else would God value? 
mercy, honesty, grace, our worship of him, generosity, kindness, service, compassion, care, forgiveness, right? And what else does God value? When he, strength. Remember, he's going to give you the power of his spirit, comfort, peace. Like, see, this is God's will. This is God's plan. And aren't those the things, first and foremost, that we think the world is desperate for? And at the end of the day, isn't that what you would want most in your life? Just love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, mercy, care, comfort, provision, protection, healing, grace. Do you see why he says God's plan is good? And that's what we want most. But so often we don't understand it and we hold it at a distance. And so how, uh, how does this happen? Right? If you were thinking, okay, how do I let God transform me? How do I let his power shape and change my life? How do I walk into his plan that he would want for me? I'm so glad you asked that question. And Paul knew you were going to ask that question. And Paul actually in this passage has already answered that question. We got to go back just to these five words that we already read. If you want to trust God, you want to trust his power, you want to trust his plan, you've got to change the way you think. That's right. That's what he says. You've got to change the way you think. And I don't know about you, but it's interesting. It's not change the way you feel. So often we live in a world that wants to celebrate feelings. Last week, Heidi did a great job. If you were here talking about feelings and how God wants all of those, right? And how she talked about how the world oftentimes over-celebrates and how we just chase our feelings. And it's like, you don't change your life by changing your feelings. Just feel better. You know, pick, be happy, be joyful. But that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. It's also interesting to me, it doesn't say change your life by the way you act. Paul could have written anything here, right? But he doesn't say, here's the deal. Change, you know, trust God, trust in his power, trust in his will by changing the way you behave. So often we want to start there. But see, he was smart enough God helping him to understand that we can't start there. We have to start here. If we want to change our feelings, if we want to change our actions, we have to change our thinking. Because our thinking is what leads to our feelings, is what creates our actions. And the whole world knows this. This isn't a surprise. I love it when the world proves the Bible right. Right? It happens all the time. We think it's the other way around. Like, oh, that's so interesting. It's in the Bible. Yeah, that was way before we discovered these things in the world. Here's the thing. The whole world knows the power of the mind. We talk about it often. Today, you're going to see in sports, probably at some point, one of the commentators or somebody talking or before or after the Super Bowl is going to talk about how sports is 70% mental or whatever it is, right? And 30%, whatever the percentages are. But it's way higher. And most of life, we know, works that way. And it's, that's exactly what they're talking about. You've got to change the way you think because it'll impact the way you act. I heard an illustration about this, a guy named Joshua Medcalf. Anybody heard about Joshua Medcalf? He's one of the leading sports psychologists on the planet. Right? I didn't know that at the time. I went to the sports thing with my boys for football, because that's what we do. And all of a sudden, Joshua Metcalf's there, and he's talking. And this guy's one of the leading sports psychologists. He's written tons of books, but he starts telling his story, and it has stuck with me. 
And he said, you know, I was a soccer player. And I just said, I'm sorry. Totally kidding. But he says he was a soccer player, playing in college. And the college he was playing at, they shut down the soccer program. So he's like, what am I going to do? Some of his friends come calling. Hey, come, come join us. They were at Duke. And he's like, I'm a soccer player, but I can't play soccer at Duke. And they're like, yeah, you can get on. Come on. So he ends up getting on the Duke roster. And he literally goes, if this is the roster, I'm like a bottom third guy. I'm good enough to be on the team. I'm holding my own. I get a little playing time here and there. But I'm a bottom third guy, and I'm figuring that's how I'm going to finish the story. As he goes on through his journey of study, he starts hearing more about psychology. That's what he's studying. He starts hearing about how sports is whatever percent is mental. And he starts going, I wonder if that's true. And so he said, I started like after practice, taking like just 10 minutes or so and stopping and replaying just practice in my mind, plays that I did well, plays that I wish I would have done differently, passes that I made, things that I missed, whatever it could have been. Did the same thing afterwards, right, for games. He started doing it before games, just 10 minutes on either side. And he says, here's what happens. He goes, over the course of my time at Duke, I became the leading goal scorer. And he's like laughing. He goes, I, I was no better athlete. He goes, my, my physicality didn't change nothing about my training. He goes, the only thing that changed was my mind. How I thought about it. And that's why we became passionate about helping people, right? Reshape your thinking because that'll change your feelings and that'll change your actions. That's how you develop and become everything you were created to be, including spiritually. That's what Paul's saying here, right? Paul knew this. Paul knew this. That's why he wrote it. Look at the, look at the uh, Meshed's translation of verse 2. Chapter 12, it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Isn't that great? That's what he's saying. You gotta fix your attention. Don't just mindlessly walk through life. You have, to, you have to analyze your thoughts and aim them at the right things. And we see this all through Paul's writing. If you start looking for it, how often he talks to you about the mind and how critical it is in your spiritual journey. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I don't know if you know this or not. Every thought you have isn't a good one. And so that's all he's saying is you got to analyze your thoughts. you got to stop and hold them and look at them long enough and see, is this a thought that's aiming me at trusting God? Is this a thought that's aiming me at trusting his power? Is this a thought that's aiming me at trusting his plan? you got to know that. you got to analyze. you got to think about your thoughts is what he's saying here. And then he re reinforces this idea of fixing your attention on God. In Philippians chapter 4, he writes to the church, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He's saying this is the way you're going to live a life of trusting God, trusting his power, trusting his plan, becoming the best version of you that you were designed to be. It's by allowing God to shape your whole life, transform you from the inside out through your thinking. We all understand this and we experience it. I've gotten to watch it in one of my friends over the course of this last year. Last year, I remember I, I just developed a friendship with him and he called me just overwhelmed in tears one day, overwhelmed at life, overwhelmed at the situation. There were so many things that he wanted to be better in his life and he was desperate. And that became the day over the phone that he declared his trust in God. 
And he finally just said, I can't do this anymore on my own. I'm not even going to try. My only hope has to be Jesus. And he put his faith in Jesus. And since that moment that he declared that now, it's been an ongoing journey of developing that identity and walking in the new creation that he was created to be, becoming the better you. And so he'll call me now or we'll text every now and then. And what he did is he started jumping into places. I said, Brandon, you have to change your thinking. It starts here. You got to start inputting new things into your mind and into your brain. He said, like what? And I go, well, this is a good place to start. You see, if you're going to fix your thoughts on God, this is the best place. If you want to know what God values, this is the best place to discover it. And so this year, that's why every year as a church, we read through the Bible together. That's why we do the Bible in one year. It's why I love that not only are there actual Bibles to read, but there's apps that we can use. What better app? for discovery and development and becoming a better you than the Bible in one year. Just let him read God's word to you. So we started doing that. He started getting around other people. That's why I say all the time, you're never gonna become everything God created to be if this is the only place that you show up. The value is to get around a smaller group of people that can help become a filter so you can fix your thoughts and your attention on God. So they can help shape your thoughts to what's true and honorable and right and pure and holy because it's hard to discern those things at every stage of life, especially when you're just learning what it looks like. He started transforming all these things. At the end of the day, too, another practical thing that we talked about is I said, number one, just imagine, obviously, that that God's with you, right? What would he think about what you're thinking, about what you're saying, about where you're going, about what you're looking at, about the websites you're pulling up, about what you're scrolling through. And he said, sometimes that works, but sometimes that doesn't. I go, great, then make it more practical and a little closer to home. Imagine your wife is with you. Imagine that she's hearing that everything you're saying, everything you're looking at, every place you're going, would, how do you feel about that? And I said, and if that doesn't work, imagine I'm with you. And that's what he did, he just laughed. But then he called me back later, he goes, that really works. (laughs) And I said, I know. And I said, here's the deal. I'm only passing on to you tools and thinking and wisdom that has been given to me over a lifetime because I'm still trying to become the better me. I'm still trying to become more of an authentic follower of Jesus. I'm still trying to become a better friend, a better listener. I'm still trying to become a better pastor. I'm still trying to become the husband that I want to be, that I was created to be. I'm still becoming the father. And it's impossible unless you trust God and you trust in his power and you trust in his plan. So as we close, let me just pray for us this morning. If you would, just close your eyes wherever you're at. And I just want to come back to the question that we asked at the beginning. And, and what, what do you want 
Or what do you need in your life to be better, to be different, to be new? Maybe for some of you, like I said, you've never heard the story of all that God's done for you. You've never heard the story of his love. You've never heard the story of forgiveness. You've never heard the story of grace. You've never heard the story of Jesus who came to take all of the guilt and the selfishness and the brokenness in our lives. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you've never declared your trust in God by trusting in Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us. But if that's you and you want me to pray for you specifically to put your faith in Jesus and trust God, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at? Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah, it's important to have a moment where you declare your trust in God. So you can always look back. And then it becomes a journey of developing that faith, developing that new identity, becoming all that God created you to be, the better you. And maybe for some of us, as we've been talking and looking at this this morning, you can see places in your life where you've been trying to do it on your power or your strength instead of God's power, letting him change you and shape you. Maybe you haven't trusted his plan, kind of trying to make your plans work and ask him just to bless you. But if that's you and you just want to surrender again to God's love and to his power and to his plan, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at so I could pray over you? So Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness and your compassion. And thank you for your provision through Jesus to have a relationship with you, to walk into a place where you give us your spirit and your power to transform our lives. Help us to receive that to walk in that, I pray that you would aim our thinking to take captive every thought, to filter it through your word and through people that can help us become who you created us to be. God, continue to speak to every single one of us. Give us the humility and the courage that we need just to receive everything we need from you and the courage to take just the next step that you're inviting us into this morning. And we pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.